Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. And today we are going to, well, I was going to think what I was going to do. I was going to say so long and thanks for all the fish, or <laughs> we're going to go into the restaurant at the end of the universe. I couldn't really think of one for the Hitchhiker's Guide, but that's what we're going to be talking about. The Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy. That's the problem, man, is there's like, you know, 40 things in this that like ha- are just <laughs> wired into our DNA that yeah. we grew up with, that we can't imagine our culture without. Uh, it's stunning. Mm. Yeah, we're we talking about the 2005 uh, adaptation. So Martin Freeman, Sam Rockwell, Zoe Deschanel, um, Yassine Bey, who was most deaf um, at the time of production. Mm. Um Weirdly, like John Malkovich, you also get the voice of Helen Mirren, Stephen Fry, uh, the voice of Bill Bailey, loads loads of people in this film. Uh, Alan Rickman, Warwick Davis. I mean, this is an absolute who's who of sort of um, English cast and and sort of times. A a mishmash, actually, because I do want to talk about the casting of of Trill. But um, yes, the 2005 The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, based on the book by... Douglas Adams, uh, a trilogy in five parts, because um, obviously it went <laughs> to be uh, the rest of the books. Um, and this is just the first book. This is just the first yeah. book, and is is a pretty good adaptation of the first yeah. book. I mean, um, and so I'm going to start with that actually, because we in just for those, there was obviously an earlier adaptation. Well, this has actually has got a really before we even get into the film, mm. Hitchhikers itself has got a very uh, unconventional history as a story because um, we're talking about this as an adaptation of a book but before it was a book it was a radio show um, mm-hmm. and then it became uh, they did I think five radio show episodes it became very popular so they wanted some more then those radio show episodes were adapted into a television series uh, that came out in 1981 for the BBC, which we are going to be covering on the Patreon. So if you want to talk about, talk about that, the six-episode series from uh, 1981, go check that out. That'll be on Patreon. Um, but it, then it became a book series written by Douglas Adams, who'd written the TV, the radio and the TV show, and he extended it to a full host of things. And finally, it was being adapted into a film. Um, a Hollywood uh, film. A Hollywood uh, yeah. film. And this oh, yeah. is the key thing, is that this is like... Because this was the... This beloved book, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I was a kid in the 80s or the 90s, and I first read it in the 80s, and it was like, you couldn't be a sci-fi fan without knowing about this. This was important. But it was very British, and it was thought to be unfilmable, you know? Yes. Um, even though I think the BBC did a great job, and we'll talk about that on Patreon. But, um, you know, it is not the kind of thing that you would think would make a big-budget American blockbuster. Um, and so it sat around in development hell forever. 
And this is clearly the attempt to do a big budget American blockbuster. One of the things that's interesting about you saying this is that the book is very British and it is. And um, the one thing to note is this was released and production was finished after Douglas Adams death. Mm -hmm. And is widely known that one of the things that held up production was he held off, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be careful with this term, but the Americanization of the Hollywoodization of the story. Um, mm. He very much held at bay certain ideas about uh, everything from transposing the story from uh, Britain to America, making um, Arthur Dent American and, and putting them somewhere in small town America. Um making it more of a quest movie at one point, which I think is sort of still in this version mm. a little bit. But there was other things where they wanted to keep changing the story. And there was also apparently one thing where they wanted to combine several of the books as well. Mm -hmm. And he was constantly like, no, 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 <laughs> no, that's not how this works. Um, And so, yeah, it eventually came out in 2005, but they've been talking about this since the 90s. I think they've been really mm -hmm. trying... Um, to sort of put it together. So it's quite interesting that it finally got done. Um, yeah. I mean, I have I have a very, you know, mixed view of this film. Um, mm. I love this movie. Mm. I saw this movie in theaters. Um, I think that it does a fantastic job of adapting the book. I think that everybody needs to see this movie. Um, I think that Hitchhiker's... I don't, I, I have to confess, I don't enjoy the books. Um, mm. I don't find them funny on the page. And, you know, I had, have a huge admiration for Douglas Adams, but I have a huge admiration for his ideas. I mean, I've seen all of his Doctor Who stuff. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, you know, um, have a lot of admiration for him and what he brought, but I don't think that most of the humor falls flat on the page. And I think that for me, and I think that, uh, written humor tends to not make me laugh, um, which is one reason why the adaptations work better for me. Mm. Um, well, as you say, it started as a radio play. So you, yeah. I, de I definitely feel that when you read, especially the first one, um, you feel that in its DNA, that there's definitely a, oh, this was set up to be something else. Mm -hmm. And that's been adapted to become the book. Um so I, I sort of agree with that. I, I think there's also, yeah, so sorry to interrupt, carry on. No, it's okay. I mean, you know, so I, but I, the ideas of Hitchhikers, um, you know, and especially above all, right, uh, 42, the idea, uh, you know, of the destruction of the planet, the sense that, you know, the 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 guide is always pointing out of like we live in a meaningless universe right yeah. Yeah. don't panic uh i mean this idea that it could be a meaningless universe not just a not even necessarily an atheistic one but just a meaningless universe mm. and that you could laugh at it and be okay that that was not a source of existential dread i think was uh a very important idea for me growing up and continues to be and i think it's very important for the species you know to to you know whatever they somebody believes to have this basic worldview right mm. i mean so for me this has a religious aspect to it um 
where, you know, ideas in this movie and in this book are key ideas in my brain. Uh, even more so, you know, like even more so than like somebody says, well, I'm a Jedi, right? I don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there are a few ideas that are nice. I mean, you know, somebody, you know, I love the ideas of the Federation, but, you know, and Star Trek, but they're not like, yeah, it's not a, like a philosophy to live by. It's not the Tao of Star Trek, right? There is a kind of Tao of the hitchhikers. You mm-hmm. know? It reaches that level. And so for me, um, having these ideas out there in a digestible, decent, you know, good Hollywood way that are memorable and well done is means a lot to me. Um, and I do think this movie accomplishes that. Having said that, I think it's clear why it didn't succeed. Yes. Okay. Let's. We'll get yeah. to that actually because I do. I do think there's. I, I have thoughts on that. Um, because I ha- I hadn't watched this for a while. Uh, I've watched it a couple times, but I sat down to watch it this weekend. <clears throat> and one of the things that you say about the sort that the the philosophy of this film, I think, it's the philosophy of Doug. Doug Adams was an atheist, um, and he was a a um. He did many talks and debates um, against theists uh, and other things as well. So it, it's, you know, I wouldn't say you, you, the book and that doesn't tell you it is an atheist universe, but it, I think he would consider it to be. But I like that that builds into this idea of like, well, there is no purpose, like there is no there is no meaning to this. But like you say, but don't panic, um, because I also like the fact that it's like it's, don't panic because there are still interesting things to do and see like yeah it's meaningless and it's crazy and it's bizarre but you can still go and do go see these things like if you to go hitchhike you can go to this place you can go see this species you can go see this bizarre place like there's still fantastic things to do um despite you know the let's say the lack of any meaning and i think that's one of the things that's sort of interesting is having looked at the book and this is something I think has been interesting because I, I often think of Douglas Adams on par, maybe not on par, but I actually think of him to comparison to like Terry Pratchett and um, the the Discworld series. And with him, with Pratchett and the Discworld, obviously that changed a little bit over time and, and became a bit more sophisticated with his world building. He used the footnotes to expand on those kinds of things and where the sort of the um, the footnotes in the, in the Pratchett written, as you said, that that is designed to be Pratchett was a writer that was designed to be on page. And so the, a lot of the humor and stuff works on page and very much struggles to translate. Whenever they've translated Pratchett to screen, you lose those footnotes and the, the, the mechanism that allows that sort of thing to come into this, into this film, into hitchhikers is the book, the hitchhikers guide to the galaxy deftly narrated um, in this case, by Stephen Fry, um, National Treasure. Um, and I think it gives you that ability to have things like cutaways and do sort of like weird explanations and sort of like be able to be silly and funny, but like show the absurdity of the universe without the characters, the main characters, having to be exposition dumps for um, how a fish translates mm. brainwaves in, into language or how a probability drives and was originally figured out by them moving some woman's underwear one foot to the left. But you can do that 
and it works. I think that's why sort of why this seems to work as a mechanism for audio and visual rather than a book. Yeah, I think that's right, and I, and I think that um, you know I think I think everything you've said is right, including about Pratchett. Um, you know, I, I think that um, that mechanism of using the actual Hitchhiker's Guide as a narrative device, which the the BBC also uh, did. Mm-hmm. Um, is tremendously effective. And, you know, it seems like, if anything, they should lean on it more. Mm-hmm. That it's, it, it seems so well designed to a sort of like post MTV, you know, even post TikTok, you know, era, right? Where you can have these funny bits. I mean, I think that uh, they look kind of like flash videos yes. in uh, this version, um, which seems a little dated but you know still works um i mean and i and i think that that allows you to do those segues and to have those information dumps and have them be perfectly charming the you know the thing about both this and the bbc series is every single hitchhiker segment where they go to the guide works every single one you know it one might work better than another but every single one of those works um and they, and they keep them concise. They they always, you know, keep them with a certain sense of humor, a tongue-in-cheek, you know, kind of uh, aspect. And then you cut back to, um, you know, to the show. Um, and, and that, it always works. It, that works great. And, and, and that makes me wonder why they don't have more of it, why people doubted that you could make this as a movie, Um I don't know, but I, I, I do want to get into sort of like this weird feeling of like why this didn't work. Let, right, let's get into that because there's I want to, I do want to just finish off the point you've made yeah. there about the Hitchhiker's Guide, and especially this sort of when it pops up within the story. Um, and if I was a producer <clears throat> um, making this, or an exec, or a studio head, or someone, and someone was like. And someone gave me the, the the elevator pitch of this book, you know, what this was. And, oh, but we're going to have segments that are a little bit like a PowerPoint presentation voiced by Stephen Fry telling you about space. Because space is big. Space is very, very big. Kind of, you know, doing that. And you'd, you'd be like, sorry, what? There's animated segments of exposition. Like, it, unless you pitch it just right or you have a visual, like, it doesn't sound good so i can imagine people going like well that'll just slow the plot down where's the action where's this where's that um so i can see that i could definitely see why douglas adams was, was clinging onto things that i'm sure people were trying to take away from it because they mm. didn't believe it would work on screen um so except it already had on the bbc well, no, like, uh, let, let, okay let's 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 talk about this we, we, and go please go listen to the patreon to the patreon where we yeah, talk about that for, for, for more detail but the, let you talk about the BBC, and I think one of the things we've got to get into, and I want to just is the the, the Britishness of some mm. of the some of the humour and that approach, because that sort of information, the PSA, as you as you would say, that sort of like you know public service announcement or an information video kind of thing, like we're still kind of used to them, <laughs> like mm. it's a part and parcel of some of these things, and so it sort of builds into that sort of culture. And I do wonder if that's sort of like, you know, trying to say we're going to do this because, well, let's get into your thoughts about why this failed. Because I think I think I'm going to start going into that if we 
across, overlap. So what? let's get into that thing of why this didn't succeed where we, we think it should. Okay, so for me, it's budget. It's just okay, yeah. budget, period, end of story. Uh, this movie was budgeted at 45 to 50 million. It did mm-hmm. 100 million. Um, you know, we have often, I am the king of, you should have done this on a cheaper budget, right? Now, you could have still done it on this budget and move stuff around, but it is just, um, for this to be an American movie, it needs to look better than it does mm. and not better than it does in every scene because an awful lot of it looks amazing and looks fantastic and looks like no dollars been spared. And then you have awkward shots of like, you know, I mean, the the second head doesn't quite work. There are awkward shots of like, even, even with the, uh, you know, the cranes that are pulling uh, uh, the, you know. At the end, Bill Nighy. Yeah, yeah. Bill Nighy, yeah. You know, where you're like, yeah, you're shooting around the fact that there's no crane there because you don't have the money to simply put like an iron bar in in CGI, right? Mm -hmm. And you become very conscious of these things. And I think right from the beginning, I remember watching this in theaters and, you know, I mean, I knew the story. I I knew all of it. And sort of starting with the dolphin sequence uh, with, you know, this limited, um, you know, TV-like screen in the theater and you know, starting with this exposition. Yeah, but know, that TV screen, but that TV screen size is a is a reference, obviously, to its TV origins. So mm-hmm. that yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. I'm and I'm fine with that. I'm just like mm. I'm watching it, and I'm very conscious of being in a theater mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. around other people who I assume are Americans, who I assume you know uh, may or may not have the same experience that I do with this material, and. So, you know, I sort of half my brain is watching what I'm watching and the other half is outside of myself in the room watching everyone else watching a movie mm-hmm. and thinking, I hope this movie is going to be a big hit, but I don't know. And, you know, it takes a little bit of patience to kind of realize, oh, OK, this is a Hitchhiker's Guide thing. And you get into the you get into the song and the song is amazing. I love and that song. You know, I mm. do, too. It's got a couple of verses that I would take out, but you know, it, it is amazing. And, but, but there is a look of sort of like recycled footage of sort of, you know, which is intended, clearly intended. But then you get to the point of the dolphins flying off into outer space. Mm-hmm. And it is so clear that they have taken, I mean, there's CGI dolphins in there, but it's so clear that they have taken shots of like dolphins leaping up from tanks and cut like seconds too late like not even controlled the speed to like speed it up so it looks like they're really flying off and it looks so awful it just it it just is in that uncanny valley of like it's close to good but it's really like it's not far enough from good that it's hokey and and funny and you let it go um and that same problem recurs throughout the entire movie and I can understand why an audience, this is the same year Batman begins. We're several mm. years into, you know, Spider-Man and X-Men and, you know, uh, superheroes are big money now. Mm. Um, and they're starting to look really, really good, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I could tell, I love this movie. It's doing great things. It's like 95% there. And that 5% is going to kill it with my fellow countrymen. And I don't, obviously, it obviously wasn't just, America, this didn't, you know, didn't do gangbusters um, 
everywhere. It did quite. It did do quite well over here, actually. Um, unsurprisingly, I think. However, what I would say is, even though it did well over here, it did well within the genre fans that are aware of this. I also think there was a nostalgia um, element that was like, I remember, like you said, I remember reading that as a kid and stuff. So I think there was that element. However, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, especially the opening segment. And there are a couple of other se- uh, shots that um, don't work. So I think you're right. They needed to tighten those up. But it's again, it's choosing... Um, it's choosing the lane that you're going to exist in. And I think this is the sort of, this is, I think the problem. I think we, we, you do get with some films because let, you know, go check again. We keep saying, go check the Patreon, but that BBC version does not have 50 million. And it's quite, it barely has 50 mm-hmm. quid, right? It barely has <laughs> 50 pound an episode. However, it gets away with certain things by going, we don't have much money. So we're going to be as, batshit crazy as possible or we're going to do something else or we're going to try and do something and be inventive or be creative or, or there are whole shots in that bbc one that that look like so dark you can't see yeah. anything because there's clearly no set yeah. that set looks, or the set they have is terrible it's cobbled together yes. overnight and, and there's so many shots where you just think like am i what am i looking at this yeah so exactly dark. but it gets away with it because, like you said, I mean, it knows what it is. It's charming. You know what it is from the start. Yeah. This tells you it's a glossy, glitzy Hollywood big budget yeah. movie and then can't quite do it. No. And it's, but I, I think, and this is where I think it should have either held, it should have either gone whole hog and gone, we are a full on space adventure, or I should have held back and been like, we're a really weird film and and they should have upped the things like the uh, entries from uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide from the Galaxy mm, upped, mm-hmm. upped, even upped some of the weirdness a little bit more and really gone like oh no we're going to challenge you to enjoy the weirdness of this thing like you know um, and so I think that that's a problem I think it's, it's not confident enough in exactly what it is and I do think that shows in several places where <sighs> I don't know. The, the put it this the Volgons mm. as a design. I absolutely adore the design of the Volgons in this. I think they're great. They look fantastic, and they're all yeah, physical, I mean, and they're all physical yeah. puppets. And I'm so pleased. And like you know, and you go brilliant, and then you get, um, I don't know. There's there's that, and then it's sort of like oh, we've done this, and we're doing this other thing, but that's that's sort of it. But that's mm. all we're going to do in this. Everything else is going to be a little bit in shadow, or it's just going to be people in sort of like vague costumes. Like there's nothing there that go like. So now, where's the rest of the weird alien stuff that's not going to be? You haven't covered by the Hitchhiker's videos. You know, it's sort of yeah, yeah. That's that's the part that sort of it's it's not enough not like for me. Different scenes look really good. I mean, I think the Volgans look fantastic. I yeah. think their fleet looks good. Mm. I think, you know, the inside of that ship looks good. It's, you know, um, there's a lot of money spent on the inside of that ship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the whole uh, Huma Kavula, you know, Malkovich stuff is, you know, I mean, you know, you can ding it here or there, but it looks good. It looks polished. And then you get to you know, uh, Megrathia and to the point of view gun. 
which again, these are concepts that I love, right? Mm. I mean, like I laugh out loud during at multiple times during this film, and I will watch the funniest comedy and never laugh mm. out loud and just look at the people on the couch next to me and just go like, "You guys are aliens!" Like I do not know why. <laughs> like it's funny, but like really. Uh, and I laugh out loud multiple times at this. I also cry, which, you know. That ending. Say. Yeah, no, that, that that point of view gun, that scene with the point of view gun <sighs> does hit kind of hard. Um, and, and I think, right. you know, today, even now, like I think that that is a an idea that I'm like, oof, mm. yeah, that could be really interesting to explore. Post me too, kind mm. of. <laughs> you know, here's my point of you gun, you fucking massage. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that scene takes a very different turn in 2023. But yeah, Black Lives Matter. You know, like, yeah. Here's my point of, you know, I'm gonna sentence you, police officer, to three blasts from the point of view gun. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, wow, you do yeah. a lot with this. No, it's amazing. You know, um, or even like, I'm a Trump voter. You know, uh, you know, well, that's... you 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 got to take the point of view gun from me too. Well, that's the terrifying bit, and that's why I love the idea, and that's why Hamakavula wants it, doesn't it? Because he's like, mm. "Oh, I can, I can control so many people with the, with this idea, get my congregation." So, yeah, I, I love the way that the ideas in this—they are so, so good in places. Even the probability drive, mm. mm-hmm. um, excellent idea. Absolutely, and you know, totally more feasible than some forms of faster than light travel <laughs> that I've seen in movies. Um, and also, uh, you know, I know we disagree on this, but, you know, there's this the shot of them as uh, yarn, um, you know, the stop motion. I mean, I love when they work in animation and stop motion into movies. And then, you know, at one point they're couches and you think, OK, yeah. so I'm like, all right, I'm going to track an idea. Right. This is 2005. We this is it's in the book and in the BBC, you it know, is, to a certain yeah. degree. But then, you know, that same idea is in Rick and Morty. It which is. gets lots of, you know, with a, which is even sillier, where it's like, oh, here we're talking self, we're talking mm. spaghetti, eating cell phones, kind of, you know, weirdness, kind of dumbing stuff. Um, but at least that is more outre, kind of, you know, well, more explicit comedy. And then it gets into, like, we're rocks in everything, everything everywhere, everywhere but, all at yeah. once, which is a terrible movie that nobody could possibly enjoy if they had ever read Hitchhikers, you know. But um, and we'll find out in season five <laughs> <laughs> where the two of us strangle each other yeah. through the, through the um, No, I mean that one pushes all my buttons uh, as a writer. Um, but uh, anyway, I mean, you know, so this is do, but this is doing much of what people say they love yes. about that. You know, uh, more than fifteen years earlier, and I think doing it better. Um, my problem is that point of view gun looks like shit. Yes, I mean it looks like somebody took gold spray paint in a prop department, and then it's got a little like blue light that lights up on the wrong end because it's supposed to capture that person's point of view, but nothing's firing out of the front end, and it's like it looks terrible. I mean, it looks it doesn't look terrible. It looks a little ch- off. No, 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 no. But the you fact are, no, that it's... nothing is coming out of the front yeah. end. They haven't it's, animated any kind of shot with that. They do, and what's, just, what, what just what makes cheap. it worse? And I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying because there are there are two things to note. They do animate something later on when Marvin has it pop up and uses it like a blunderbuss, and it goes across mm-hmm. all the Vulcans. You see a wave of it come out mm-hmm. then, so that's one thing. But the other thing you're right is this film clearly runs out of money 
at certain points. And as you said, the Volgon ship looks great. I love the, you know, it's one of my favorite scenes is when they've been read the Volgon poetry. Mm. And Ford is like squirming, trying to get away with it and stuff. And I just, it's all, all that looks great. And, and I love them in their, their outfits. And there's other scenes, like even, you know, the, the, the ship of the, what's it called? What's the ship called? The, um, Heart of Gold. Heart of Gold. Thank you. The Heart of Gold. Like the, the set of that looks great. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's multi layered. It's got different bits and pieces. It's designed well. It looks fantastic. Um, Hammer Kavula's place. All that looks great. And then you get to Mag- Magrathia. All mm, the shots mm-hmm. at Magrathia, it looks like they've borrowed something from the BBC. Mm-hmm. Like there's this. Oh, we've got this set, yeah. uh, th- this raised platform where we're going to do this one thing with a couple of extras. Then we're going to cover it in these fake vines and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, it looks weirdly looks really cheap and stands out so much from the film um, in so many ways. I am. I'm a bit like, why does this? And you, now you've said it, it, it makes us right. Well, I am watching him. Why does this not look mm. good? And it's funny because I literally, I've just uh, this week as well as watching this, I worked my way through the Indiana Jones films over the last couple of weeks, mm. and the first three are phenomenal. I will, I will defend those films. I, I love all those films, and actually watching them in quick succession, I have new theories about them and stuff, which is interesting. But the the thing about those first three, they're shot on. They are there's, there are some sets, but the sets are always brilliant. But there's a lot of location shooting. A lot of outdoor stuff, and it all looks great. And then you get to that fourth one, and there's so much like green screen or CGI backgrounds, and for some reason the sets just look like sets. Mm-hmm. But I'm going back to a film that was released in 1981. I'm going, oh, the Well of Souls looks amazing, like you know. And I'm going, but then this this burial ground that was created for Crystal Skull 30 years later looks awful. Why is that? And it is a reliance on CGI, but there's this sort of thing of sets. Some sets can either look really good or really bad. But there's no seem well, there's no there's no in between really. I think that's the problem with this is there's a real disparity between some of those things. Yes. Well, and, and for me that is really the key thing, right? Mm. It's like I think that I'm not. Neither of us are anti CGI. No. Uh, you know, but we are both very tolerant of old school techniques mm. and find a kind of charm to them. What I would say is like, I mean, look, the two of us did all of Red Dwarf, okay? Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about having 50 quid to, yeah. to pay for something. I mean, there are devices in Red Dwarf that look like it is a shoebox with scotch tape on it painted with a spray paint, you know? Oh, that, well, and, no, that, they're lit- the Holly Hop drive is literally a shoebox <laughs> with a button on top of it. So, yes. And, and yet we totally go with it. And, mm. I'm, you know, I can notice that, but I'm not irritated. I'm not bothered by it. But the problem is you take that same thing and you put it in a shot with glossy CGI and the difference is so great that it's just so irritating to see that shoe box where you're like, that does not belong in the same shot. Mm. Um, and the same thing is true when, you know, they divide these movies up by studio, you know, up by different companies to do the mm-hmm. CGI and they get, you know, like a really good shot that looks great. And then you cut to like another character that was done by another studio or whatever. And you're like, that looks like shit. Yes. You know, I'm seeing polygons. Like, Mm. what am I? Why am I seeing polygons? What's going on here? That shimmer looks so fake. And, you know, so it's the contrast for me. And I think like 
in the same way, you know, you can watch, I mean, like, uh, you know, the first Toy Story, unbelievably primitive CGI, yeah. right? And yet, you know, looks still looks pretty good. You know, you know, you watch that and you can you can still go through it and it has a consistent look to it, even if that look isn't realistic anymore. Uh, it's a consistent if it ever was. It's consistent. And I think mm. it's this inconsistency the, that yeah. really makes something stand out and look cheap. No, I agree. It makes it, it, it's one of those things. It makes things that possibly aren't cheap look cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. You're right. Um, and I don't think there's, if it was all like that, I think you, you know, I think this film would have the charm to carry that off and would be a lot more successful. Mm-hmm. But like you said, they, they've spent so much in other areas that I think it does. It sort of it, it highlights those area those scenes when you do go, huh, that doesn't look great. Why does that not look great? And then then you sort of sing like you focus in on it. So I agree with that. Um, the other thing is, and I'm interested to see your opinion on this. And I know you're probably a slightly different case because we have talked about Red Dwarf and stuff. Mm. Um, this being a Hollywood film, I watched the trailer for this before I watched the film. I was quite curious. The trailers are awesome. The trailers are good. But there's one in particular that feels very Hollywood. And it was very much like it, it almost portrayed this as a sort of a a, a space adventure you know, it, it shows the seating. It shows a lot of the scenes of like the the shooting, so the Volgon sort of shooting on sort of um, mm. um, like Rock, Sam Rockwell and some of the bits and pieces. And I'm like, and it it tries to sort of big up the action, and that's the trailer that was on Amazon Prime when I mm. watched this, and I was like, huh, that went out as an advertisement for this, and I'm sure there are people that then walked into this film and came out at the end of it going. That wasn't the film that I saw the trailer for. Um, and I, I can imagine that being a factor as well. Um, I don't know, because there is something that... Well, to expand on that point, the protagonist of this film, played by brilliantly by Martin Freeman, because um, I love the cast of this, by the way. I think all the cast are great, mm. apart from some minor tweaks. Um, but he's basically sort of like a frustrated Englishman wearing a, a dressing gown and a towel. Like he's no hero. He's not particularly mm-hmm. a cow. He's not particularly a coward, but he's no hero. And then he's accompanied by an idiot and, um, you know, and, and Ford, who sort of again is sort of like quite quite happy just to go with the flow sort of thing. So this isn't the sort of the suit. You, you mentioned that superhero films, obviously, you said two thousand five. Like you know, this isn't a superhero film. This is also isn't Guardians of the Galaxy or Star Wars so I was or mention. Star Trek. Like, yeah, there's no, no hero, even just, idiot hero. Is this is a better version of Guardians of the Galaxy? I think that everything that everybody likes, outside of possibly the music, mm. um, everything that everybody likes Guardians for, you know, the sort of like more unlikable, less heroic, you know, band of misfits who are, you know you know pretty directionless and thrown into circumstances beyond their control i mean this is you know 10 15 degrees off that um yeah but i thought those 10 to 15 degrees like let's let's take that and maybe one day we will talk about guardians as well i'm sorry i might put you through that but in that let's take the marvel effect is like you have chris pratt and in that trailer this is chris pratt who had been known for parks and rec as the chubby guy is ripped like you know he's all of a sudden in the trailer like oh look here he is in his abs 
and you've obviously got like you know uh, Dave Batista, Zoe Saldana. You've got this sort of cast of badasses. Like the trailer it, it is a it's it's about space yeah. adventurers and stuff. It's, it's, there's a badass got, element saying, to it. It's got more ripped people doing more fighting. Exactly, and this isn't that. Yeah. This because I mean, this film sort of it pokes fun almost at that. At that, like you know, right. Um, but I mean, I mean, like you know, I mean, Galaxy Quest Wars. I don't. I don't oh, Galaxy Quest is awesome. Money. I love Galaxy Quest. I do too. Yeah, I mean, well, and we'll definitely do that someday. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right, and I, I mean, I guess I just sort of, you know, I'm like, really, does anyone go to the movies for an actor? You know, um, I, I guess that's something my brain can never quite compute. Uh, like when we're talking about Dune, and I'm like. Right, but is anyone, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'll go to a movie for a director, mm. uh, but I, I've, I, I haven't gone to a movie for an actor in twenty-five years, you know. Um, yeah, but I mean, I do think there is a sort of like to me, what Guardians and to a lesser degree the Marvel movies do is they sell fun. Now, whether yeah. it's actually fun in the theater or not is a different story, right? But they sell the idea that this is just going to be a fun romp. Yes. You're not going to have to think too hard. You're not going to have to, you know, uh, it's not a good movie. We know it's not a good movie, but it is going to be flashy and expensive and fun, right? And to me, like those names or those actors or the, you know, ripped muscles, you know, which I, I wouldn't even probably notice are... Um, you know, our window dressing for sort of how this is going to be fun. And I think that you, this is a fun romp. Oh, it is. Uh, oh, look, yeah. You could sell this the same way. And I think that those, you know, the, the trailers that are like fake, uh, fake Hitchhiker's Guide entries work mm. really well. Yes, um, those do. Yes. And they're all over like the special features. Like, they were kept mm. special features like in the Blu-ray and all the other stuff I saw. That works well, and I think that's why it works for a sci-fi. You know, th th this is where um, Galaxy Quest is, has become a beloved film in and of itself. Mm. To the extent there's a there's a documentary about it and stuff, you know, and um, because that sort of took it poked fun at its audience, but in a loving way that was almost like you know we we all know this is a bit silly, but we love it, and here's why we love it, and. You know, it's it is actually wonderful, and this does a similar thing. But it's an IP. Firstly, it's not it's not an IP that people would be hugely aware of. Um, yeah, hasn't... I mean, neither was were Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, it was no, but Marvel, that had but, but that had yeah, Marvel's the banner yeah. on that one. Yeah, right. Um, I think the other thing that, that I find with this is is the British, and again, this is what I'm curious. Mm -hmm. There's a British humor to this. That I wonder because there's obviously this whole thing. The, the the joke for the first part of it is about the bureaucracy. Mm, mm -hmm. well, the Vogons. The Vogons, and but yeah. also like um, Arthur's house being yeah having to be demolished because of bypasses. Well, why is a bypass going to be built? It's a bypass. We've got to build bypasses. Like, um, and then the the Earth being destroyed in exactly the same way, and the, the forms having yeah. to be filled in. And Martin Freeman's constant frustration, like when they actually break into the, um, uh, they they put, they go into the Volgon thing, and he's got Martin's uh, Marvin's arm, and the, you know she's the woman, the female Volgon at the counter is like, "Oh, are you here to see about robot repairs?" And they think it looks like a big gun, although it, it clearly looks like a yeah. robot's arm. 
and then having to fill in the different forms and all that. Like, I love all that. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 there's a joy, there's a weird sort of frustrating joy to that. I've seen Martin Freeman sort of like desperately trying to fill in forms to save the way he mm. saves Trill is by filling in a form and getting it stamped yes. in time, not by any grand heroics, not by sweeping in and, and saving the day. He fills in a form just in time. Um, and that feels so, I love that, that that's what, what happens. And I think people would be frustrated by that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so like if, if I had my brothers, I mean, I, I would say like nothing about that really needs to be changed. I think the no. the joke about robot repair needs to be timed slightly differently, but it's it's still a solid joke, but I think it comes off to me as clever rather than funny, right? Mm. Um, the form stuff works. Uh, you know, the, the bypass stuff all works. You know, Americans have bureaucracy too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know, you know, I mean, Britain is, is beloved for its bureaucracy and the French are celebrated as the ultimate bureaucrat. Um, but you know, every country has its bureaucracy, right? So, I mean, I think that Americans can relate to that, even if it's a little weird, it's a little, it's a little off as a, as a place to kind of start. Um, but I think the fun of like, wait a minute, the Earth just got destroyed before the opening credits, right? Like, like the before the title, anyway. Yeah, that is so mind blowing, right? Like, I defy you know anyone from any country. You know, you might not get certain certain things, but I mean, at that point, you know, like, oh shit, right? Like this movie just it came to play, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. like that's some real stuff. So for me, the thing that I would change is stuff like the word bypass, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't have that word, right? You know, I mean, you know, connecting road or something, you know? I mean, like you know i mean it's little things like that right like super small like we get it brits drink tea that's a that's a joke in a few places okay fine you know um but um it's for me it's very careful and very successful in retaining a kind of british character Mm -hmm. without like when i was a kid watching red dwarf going like i don't know what the what the hell half this (laughs) stuff is right Uh, I never would have felt that way with this. I don't no. think that anyone would watch this. And I think it's very careful to retain that Britishness without ever triggering that, you know, uh, you know, uh, sort of what's that word mean uh, effect? Well, one of the things I think that's interesting, and this comes to the casting, is the fact that really the only American, sorry, the only Brit that gets retained um, for the main cast, at least, is... Um, Martin Freeman. So you have got Alan Rickman voicing um, Marvin, the robot, who has got... Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren is uh, uh, she's not she's deep thought, right? Yeah, she's deep thought. But you've also got Stephen Fry voicing. Mm. Um, yeah. But on screen, my point is mm. on screen actors, Martin Freeman. You know, you've got Stephen Pembleton at the start, who is the guy who says is the sort of the foreman for all the builders and stuff and a few others but like ford is now played by master but yeah yeah you got bill knight at the end but you you've main, main, the yeah. main cast the main is one. sort of like is my friend yeah you got um yeah. zoe deschanel sam rockwell yaslin b almost deaf 
John Malkovich as you sort of you know John Malkovich made his way onto the poster. Um, hmm. You know, and you can see that they're that's going, so weird. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and you can sort of see you going, okay, they wanted this thing. Now, hmm. I'm not that bothered by it because Martin Freeman's—they're all very good in this. I'm always a little bit put off by Zoe Deschanel because she always feels like the the quirky girl that's trying too hard to be quirky. I can't stand New Girl. I've I've tried to watch it several times. I just find her a little bit too try hard. If I'm if I'm honest, that's yeah the right way to put it. But Sam Rockwell in this is oh, it's like, is yeah. is having a blast, and it's like it's um like Sam. Well, Rockwell, let's just agree. Sam Rockwell is amazing, yes. and Sam Rockwell <laughs> needs like all the roles. Okay, yeah. and you know he doesn't get them because he's creepy. He doesn't get him because he, you know, he's never going to be, I mean, you know, you mentioned like Chris Pratt, right? Like Chris Mm. Pratt is the most unbelievable Hollywood success story that I could imagine because, you know, I saw him in, you know, Community and thought, or or Parks and Rec, Rec, same show, and thought, um, I just pissed off half of our audience, (laughs) Uh, not for the first time, but, um, you know, and thought, uh, you know, what an uninteresting character. He sort of plays it well, but, you know, uh, he's, you know, dating a girl on on the show who's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Who I want to see in everything. But she's weird, and he's Mm. not. He's the all-American boy, you know, and so he's had this great success. Sam Rockwell is the opposite. He's the creepy guy who's like, you know, will never, you would never, ever consider those two actors for the same role, Right. And yet I totally understand Sam Rockwell. I, I gravitate to him in every scene. And I never have felt that way about Pratt. Yeah. Um, so that says more about me than it does, obviously. Yeah. Does no, I think I think the, the, the difference is between Sam Rockwell and Chris Pratt is um, Chris Pratt is a comedic actor. Or he's a comedic personality hmm. that, you, that you put in your film. Sam Rockwell is an actor. Because I can yeah. watch, I can watch Sam Rockwell in Moon or even Iron Man yeah. Two, or this, yeah. and go, "Wow, that's three different performances from the same guy, and he's excellent." And like, okay, he, I agree with that, but I also think there's an edge to Sam Rockwell. Oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah. He, he, you can't hide that there's an edge to him. Yeah. The whole appeal of Chris Pratt is there's no edges to this guy, yes. right? Yeah. Like, and that's why he, you know, like Sam Rockwell cannot play in every man. He can kind of no. do it in Moon. Because, but that's like a working class every man. Yeah, yeah. It's like a beaten down kind of thing. He cannot play, you know, your macho American every man kind of hero. No, but that's um, he. He's the one thing that I think <laughs> works in Iron Man Two. His his version of or his character is like the anti Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. He de- he's desperately trying to be the cool, suave kind of thing, but that mm-hmm. sa- that some rock will play feeling terribly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he and he's wonderful at it, and that's why I yeah. I, I kind of love him for it. But he's he's a blast in this, even as he's, he's, he's a blast of... in everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Sam I know. But fun to watch. He but is. yeah, you're right. He, he loves playing Zephyr. Yeah, Zephyr is, is amazing in this, and, and I he's um he feels like he's sort of channeling Owen Wilson. A little bit, mm. mm-hmm. um, in certain scenes, and I, and I, I kind of like that as well. Like he's doing an Owen Wilson impression through sort of like certain scenes. But no, I think the cost. This is the other thing I'd like to say about this as well. We said about the money, we said about the special effects, and um, 
the the puppetry and stuff because the Vogons are obviously all physical suits. The costuming this as well is is really spot on as well. Um, mm-hmm. That it's sort of like this where you know Martin Freeman's obviously just wearing a sort of his pajamas and a, and a dressing gown and stuff. But like, <laughs> but Zaphod's costume and is 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 absolutely fantastic. Um, and so and sort of like you know, it's just and even like I say, Malkovich's uh, Hamakavula, mm-hmm. like all the, and then when you see the costuming for when they're at that place and you see all the people wearing the bits and pieces, like all the at the church of mm. the what's it like? It, it looks great, like the really good thoughts thought out. Um, and this is where I think like the cast works for me because they all do seem to this the 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 chemistry between Freeman and and most deaf works as well like i i love mm. i, I kind of love them two together mm-hmm. um and there's there's some scenes at the beginning like when they're in the pub and the barman sort of talking to them and and, and um ford sort of like you know he's relaying this information and people are just looking at him like he's crazy mm. and then mm-hmm. eventually the, the barman just says like well you know is the world coming to an end yes is, is there anything we can do no well, you know, should we lie down with bags on our heads or something? And he's like, "Do you, you know, do you, would you feel better if you did it?" <laughs> it's all. I, I, he's working really well for me as sort of like a, yeah, um, in that role. It's sort of so. Yeah, yeah. I, don't th- I don't think that he stands out as much as Sam Rockwell and, no. and Martin Freeman. I would agree with you that Zoe Deschanel is the weak point. Yeah, um, and you know, partly, you know, to be fair, partly it's the script, right? Partly mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot to do. Um, she's basically the love interest. Um, and she's also somebody, you know, whose character is defined by, you know, wanderlust, uh, wanting, you know, which is part of the, you know, um, uh, galaxy quest sort of get off planet, you know, Star Trek story, right? Why we mm-hmm. like science fiction is because we've got a bit of her in us. Um, but, she just seems a very cardboard character who's really there to, for you know Arthur Dent to be in love with. Yeah, and and I don't get why he's so smitten with her, except that she's the last human. But it does, but it wants us to really believe in that he, yeah, like remembers that girl from a party. It, yeah, um, this is this is sort of the point I want to make. Actually, is that like where I see chemistry either on screen or between characters in certain places? Um, you say she's the she's the she's the sort of the weak link, which I, I just what I'm saying. I totally agree with the Trillion character. Like the 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 scene where she says to him about going to Madagascar, and Martin Freeman's like, "Well, okay, well, instead of that, how about we try Cornwall?" Or whatever, you know, and she's a bit like put off by it. To me, like she's supposed to come across, as you say, with like wonderlust and a bit quirky and adventurous and stuff. But I'm a bit like I'm I'm sort of there, but maybe it's my age, but I'm looking like with her with my like you know, through the eyes of Mike Freeman and going like that's a red flag to me. Like, uh, okay, you sound like the kind of person that's probably gonna steal my wallet at some point and run off. Mm. So I'm more worried about that now than and going somewhere with you like you're very pretty but i that's the one area where i think that party scene needs more to flesh out how um impactful it that meeting this person was to arthur dent yeah um 
And I think that's where it falls down because there, she, it's almost like it's an introductory scene, and then she's brought back again later to be just the, um, as you said, sort of like the love interest. And you're like, oh, she's just there because she's pretty, and they've got Zoe Deschanel because she's quirky enough that she can probably be quirky, and it never feels authentic. And I think that's a real problem for that character. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that um, you know that party scene, parts of it work, parts mm. of it don't. But I mean, you certainly it certainly seems more based on Arthur being lonely, mm. right? I mean, there doesn't seem really to be any great chemistry between them. I mean, I'm with you, you know? I mean, I'm older than you are, and I sort of feel like, on the one hand, I love the Madagascar thing. Like, you know, I'm obsessed with why we don't do more of the things that we want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is nothing's holding us, Right. I mean, you know, you can quit your job and fly to Madagascar. There's nothing holding us back. And yet 99.999% of people would never do that. Um, yep. And I want to be somebody who will do that. Yeah. Um, and accept that what holds me back is, yeah, I just met you and, you know, you seem a little crazy, you know. And I, I, I would probably, you know, also hold back too and say, look, let's let's try Cornwall. But, you know, if it goes well, yeah, let's do Madagascar. What the hell? You know, like, uh, um, but, and try to find some middle ground. But the key thing for me, I I like, so I like the Madagascar idea. What I don't like is that I don't see any chemistry between them. No, I agree. Um, And and so because of that, you're just, you're just defined by her being first throwing him off for this weird guy at the party who says, want to see my spaceship. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and you feel like that, that lo- relationship is defined by his loneliness. And so when he's lonely on the ship and they're the only humans left, that it only seems like, oh, right, well, you're in proximity together. Uh, good coincidence, this is, uh, you know, but it doesn't lean into that. I mean, like mm. I could tolerate that a lot better if we knew like Arthur's kind of a slime ball, like Arthur's kind of like not a, an appealing character and he's sort of lonely. Um, and, uh, you know, Trillian's like, I mean, it, but it doesn't want to say that. It doesn't want to lean into that. It doesn't want to lean into Trillian. It wants us to feel like Trillian f- regrets being with Zaphod, you know, um, you know, he signed the order to destroy Earth, which is very funny, by the yeah. way. I yeah. do love that. Didn't love even read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You thought it was an autograph. You know? <laughs> Again, the meaninglessness of this universe is so yes. charming to me. Um, no, I agree. I almost think, and I think I felt this story with the book as well, is, like you say, they're sort of thrown together as the last two humans or whatever. Um, But there needs to be a choice made that I don't think is presented that um, Trillian gets a choice of basically Arthur or Zaphod, and so she goes. She is presented with an arc, but then, but the film doesn't give her an arc. So at the end, she's given a choice of like, oh, you can have the cool, crazy Zaphod or the safe Arthur Dent, who's actually trying to come out of himself, and she can see that. Or, you know, but then it should they should both be offered with a choice. Like there should almost be a choice of like, well, Arthur's actually you know, the choice of staying in his house, it doesn't feel like he's been given a choice. The film doesn't show me 
that he is making a choice between that staying home and going with Trillian. He's accepting like wider adventure. And I kind of prefer that he's going for wider adventure because if it was just, oh, I'm, I'm chasing after the girl again. So it seems like it'd go against the point. But then it's sort of, but then she is seems to be making a choice between, because when she gets the what's it gun, uh, the point of view gun, it's the fact that like, oh, she may have blown the only chance with the one person who does get her, who, you know, is supposed to be Arthur. So she's going on an arc of accepting him, but he's actually going on an arc of going, yeah, well, let's go on this adventure. Mm, but they seem mm-hmm. to constantly be sort of like just missing the point of each other a little bit. And so their, their sort of uh, sensibilities are slightly out of sync throughout at least this film version. Um, well, and, and maybe it doesn't need a love plot. I mean, you know, there's that mm. famous comment about Star Wars. But I mean, if they did, tie, but the love plot's there. And then maybe if they did tighten it up and sell it well, that would have t- helped this movie too with audience. Well, it doesn't need to be a love plot. It could even just be platonic. It could just be I, you are be inspiring me. Actually, being with you has inspired me to be more adventurous. Mm-hmm. And she's going, well, actually, seeing what you have done, that the chaos is actually toxic, <laughs> and actually, someone a bit more stable and sensible is probably safer to be around. Let's. We're not, we're not talking romantic love, but like. There's a friendship brewing here that's actually really good for each other. Mm. A platonic sort of friendship between a man and a woman. That'd be really refreshing and actually would probably be strangely typical, would would be fitting for this story. Um, So, yeah, point in fact I wanted to make, and I was curious, I haven't checked it actually, but there's there's an actor, there is a person that appears in this, um, an English person, an English actor, who I think should have had a who I think would have benefited from a much much bigger role in this whole production. Edgar Wright appears as one of the the sort mm. of um, deep thought technicians. Watching it this time, it got me thinking about the Cornetto trilogy, mm-hmm. and I did think, hmm, I wonder if. Arthur Dent could have been Simon Pegg. Could this have been a, an Edgar Wright film? Could or you know could Peg have been um, Zaphod? I don't know how I don't know. I don't want to cast it, but would this have been in better hands in someone like Edgar Wright and mm. Simon Pegg and, yeah. and, and Nick Frost? I could easily see you know uh, I want to see the Edgar Wright Hitchhikers. Mm. Um, you know I I don't know that it would have been any more successful though. Because in 2005, you know, I mean, Wright was not a bankable international director. Um, and, you know, it's really, I think Hot Fuzz is sort of uh, a year or two later or something. I mean, I Hot gonna, Fuzz. Well, Sh- Shaun of the Dead. Maybe around. Yeah, but Shaun of the Dead was like a cult hit, right? Like, you know, I mean, I well, it was, it. Yeah, it was big over here. But Shaun of the Dead was 2004 and Hot Fuzz... So so Hot Fuzz got like a 2007. Right. So there you go. A couple years later. And, mm. and that got big, a big push over here, mm. you know, like, and there were a lot of people who had never seen Shaun of the Dead who were like, oh, I've seen these commercials. Who is this guy who's like a big deal, you know? Um, so this would have been like, and look, this would have been a better movie than Hot Fuzz, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the timing doesn't quite work out but i mean i think you're right i would have loved to have seen that movie and you know one thing that makes me just really sad about 
this movie is that we'll never get a sequel. Um, I love this cast. We'll yeah. never get to see like, you know, uh, the Sam Rockwell version of this character continuing forward. And I would really, you know, I would really love to, to see this. Um, and the fact that it didn't succeed and we won't, I mean, we've never had adaptations of the BBC series stops in the middle of the second book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's never been any adaptation further than that. Um, so, you know, and this was set up and I think, you know, that 15% that it's different from Guardians is a 15% where that's the 15% that makes me hate Guardians, you know, as a viewing experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and love this as a viewing experience where there's stuff I can forgive but obviously I'm not the average American audience. It's interesting that this is, you know, we're now 18 years away from this film. Hmm. You know, that's, and it's weird how I feel about, about films as well. You know, this is how old we feel. Cause yeah, this is, this film's 18 years old and I'm watching this and going thinking like say in some cases, like this could have been released a couple of years ago. Like I'm sort of feeling yeah. that, um, you know, but I do think having, as we've gone through the Marvel cycle and, um, you know, there's other films that have come out sort of, you know, the star Wars and, and pre, uh, pre sequels and other bits and pieces. This film would do better now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you would probably give it Edgar Wright or, you know, someone similar to that Peyton Reed, maybe, or, or somebody else who I think would do something really cool with this. But I think the humor Mm-hmm. And everything that, that is set up in this um, would would land better now. I think it would, it would find audiences better now. And also, I watched this, and the one thing that, that that didn't escape my mind, and you've said it with a number of other things that you've said, I would like to see the HBO Max version of this. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want the HBO Max version of this. I don't want Arthur Dent and Trillian having some sort of like you know sex scene all of a sudden inserted for no other reason, but. You know, take this as a, as a premium television series, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, whoever. Th- this is a series of this is an IP that someone could jump on and would be fantastic to do as a modern um, science fiction story to tell. And I just think it's a missed opportunity that they're not doing it really. Um, yeah, you know. for sure, and, and and this could be a sort of franchise thing. Yeah. I mean, I think I think Hitchhikers makes more sense than Dune, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I and I I love both, you know. But I mean, if you're gonna, inv- if I were going to invest, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in <laughs> one of the two, I would choose Hitchhikers. Uh, I don't I want the Denny Villeneuve version of I don't want the Denny Villeneuve version of Hitchhikers though. <laughs> I think that's that's that fifth. That's a couple more fifteen to twenty degrees to the wrong direction. Yeah, and I love Denny Villeneuve, but I I do too. But the, yeah, but, not but, for this I mean, I like. I had the same thought about how this would be more successful today. And I'm thinking even if it is the same exact movie, mm. I mean, you know, I think 2005 was a weird time and this got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And, you know, 2005 was a conservative time. Mm. Uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, like, like 99, 2000 was this unbelievably creative time where you could do, uh, you know, Matrix and American Beauty and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was latched onto and people loved it. Um, by the time you're in 2005, you know, you're still in the Bush administration. You know, you're only a few years after 9-11. Anything that was greenlit, 
uh, you know, that's coming out in 2005 was greenlit in the wake of 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that hangs over everything. And everything's got to be kind of safe. Super, the superhero, you know, we're talking like, you know, there's a reason why Fantastic Four is a mega hit. I mean, yeah. it is the success of that that gets Iron Man made, frankly. I mean, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe hasn't started, but, you know, it, it, its whole raison d'etre is to look at all these dumb, glitzy movies like Fantastic Four that are raking in money and saying, well, we can do that. We can do as good as that. Um, yeah. So, no, it's an, know, it's an interesting. This I, is that weird era where in 2000, there was not room for this movie. No, in 2005. I, I am actually having a quick look at 2005 um, and what came out that year. Not realizing it was Harry Potter 4, The Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you're you still at the height of, of Potter um, fandom. But, but also, that's the middle Harry Potter, which is like nothing's happening in those movies. They're, you know, they're like well, adequate. You know what I'm saying? It's you you really feel that, that they were still yeah, but they were still making a bunch of cash. Uh, this was the same year as Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds, um, mm. Johnny Depp's Charlie also the, super safe and boring. Yeah, Charlie um, Johnny Depp's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, which which I love, but failed because it's not not boring. No, because it's it, too it, weird. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the first Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, you know, so we, from looking at franchise films to sort of see what sort of came out, um, yeah, Aeon Flux came out that year. That was a and failed. Yeah, um, the island, V for Vendetta, came out yeah. the same year, and that's a film I'd love to do as well because I love that film. So yeah, it is. It's interesting. Uh, Sin City came out that year. So I'm looking for films mm. that sort of. Um, this was also the same year as um, Peter Jackson's King Kong. Um, so there's this, yeah. So there's it's an inter- you're right, it is an interesting year because it's also the year of a history of violence. Um, the jacket, uh, Syriana, Munich. So it's, it's a weird time, there's no real theme. There's a lot of good films, but like, well, but I think, I think there are a lot of like really safe, yeah, sort of franchise stuff and and, and dumb stuff that does really well, you know, or I shouldn't say dumb, I mean, just run-of-the-mill kind of safe stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, like artsy stuff like Munich or, you know, like Sin City that kind of like Sin City found an audience. Yes. Um, changed cinema, really. I mean, it's because of that why, you know, we've got 300 and Zack Snyder and everything. I mean, um, but um, but there are also, it, it, there's then there are artsy stuff like Munich that still has a lane. But there's no lane for this. There's mm-hmm. no lane for uh, the weird, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, more mainstream weird, big budget weird. Yeah. There's no lane for that, right? You can do a Sin City, but that's more violent, weird, you know, on a lower budget than even this. Um, but this kind of like going for that mainstream, glitzy, glossy Hollywood sci-fi movie that's also weird and distorted and has its own weird universe and sense of humor you know i think there's way more room for that today than there was in 2005 yes i agree i mean one of the things is you know you say about um the audience for this is um 
who who is this for as well mm. and yeah there's a sci-fi audience um but you do wonder sort of you know it's it's it needs um what am i thinking of really is, is to say in 2005 like you said there was you know, it's either a known franchise or it's a family friendly like you know you said there's, there's narnia um and a few others that are sort of family friendly you can go and you can sort of enjoy it in that thing and, and again i think because this is science fiction which often gets sort of you know you wouldn't know to take your kids to this or this is this isn't a family film it's something else it's that thing of like it's not an action adventure comedy film it's not that it is a sort of a weird story it's a comedy but like you know it's it's it could be sort of slightly unrelatable as well i mean you know, one of the biggest heroes eventually of this story is a um, a robot with depression. You well, know. I relate to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as both a robot and a depressive. Yeah, um, but all, you know, and I think again, uh, deftly voiced by the great Alan Rickman, um, mm. and stuff. But again, I think like you know, I would. This is the one thing I wondered about that as Marvin. Could you could you do Marvin now? Now there's more awareness of mental mm. illness and that sort of thing. Or I think you have to be a bit more sensitive to Marvin because they do sideline him throughout. Uh, but, and the fact he's just he's, he says he's depressed, but he's 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 mostly just miserable, isn't he? That's let's be honest. Um, you know, like when he says, "Oh, you know, you saved our lives." And he's like, "Yes, wretched, isn't it?" Like mm. it's not it, it's not like he he's not suffering from clinical depression. He is. He's just miserable. Yeah, um, I mean, I think you might tweak it a little, but I mean, I yeah. think it would be okay. Yeah. Um, I think it would be okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that the other thing that I wonder is the the whole, like, atheist thing is mm. the whole, you know, okay, the whole meaninglessness thing mm-hmm. is in your face, right? And And I wonder if... Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I live in, you know, the country that has the most people who believe in angels. Um, you know, I wonder if this wasn't a deterrent, right? Because while, you know, look, while obviously Star Trek is a totally atheistic universe, despite certain writers going other directions, Roddenberry intended that it's not in your face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know this you can't not leave this and think that and i and i wonder if somebody whose mentality is there's a divine plan and god sent his only begotten son is going to enjoy this as much as well, somebody else i would say again the marvel universe the mcu i don't know if people realize maybe they don't realize it but the marvel universe is atheistic like it yeah. has, it has. Um, not only does it have gods in the form of Thor and Zeus, and, and show them, and then show them to actually not be gods, but to be an advanced alien race with advanced technology. It has also proven in Eternals that all planets are not planets; they are eggs, and they are birthing devices for f- future celestials. So there is no grand creator; there are just colossal. Um, extraterrestrial beings that create planets to or create some planets to be act as eggs for mm. thingy. So th- again, you t- you know, so 
which maybe why that film didn't work. I don't know, but but um, but you don't watch the average. You don't watch Iron Man and say, like, I mean, if anything, Iron Man is sort of vaguely Christian, right? Mm, I mean, there's this, mm. you know, fascistic sort of hero thing. Um, yeah, Iron Randian you know, kind of. He, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, God laid His hand on the errant knight, yeah. and you know, kind of element. I, I don't uh, know. Even though it's, you know what I'm saying? I yeah, wonder yeah, if yeah, that I do. Was However, I would say. Post pandemic, I think people mm-hmm. probably would accept this more. In a world mm-hmm. of like chaotic divide, in a world where it was a bit like chaos ruled, like you know, uh, for a while and stuff like that, I think um, this thing of like the the sort of sentiment of um, the Hitchhiker's Guide as a device, this thing of like, look. There is no meaning to anything. But here's, look, we've had people out in the universe and we're going to write these things. We're going to give you information. It's big. It's scary. But you know what? Don't panic. Because mm. the message of this film, if anything, for me, that I take, from, especially from the end of it, is although there is meaning, that the, the, the universe is meaningless, um, there are still people in it that you can connect with. That's the point is sort of like there's still connection and there's still adventure. Like there is no purpose. There is no grand scheme. You know, the world was created as it to be a computer and was designed by architects. And I, I love all that stuff. And they're talking about the fjords and, and, you know, mm. having great mm-hmm. fun doing that. All that's great to me. And I actually think this is better because I am an, I, you know, I'm not a theist. I don't sort of take that stuff, but like, I watch this and go, yeah, no, there isn't meaning, but there's still opportunity to be, happy to do something of good or value you can still be a good force in 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 the universe and that doesn't mean grand taking down thanos kind of things it could just mean being not a dick you know <laughs> like mm. just just being a, a good person in the, in this grand in this grand old meaningless mess is actually <laughs> a point in 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 and, in and of itself and so i you know I, I still think there's a positive message in this film of oh i agree yeah I mean, and and as as a depressive who struggled to um, live, frankly, in a in a meaningless universe, in a universe, mm. in a, a fucked up civilization, um, you know that that seems intent on driving itself off the cliff, um, <laughs> you know, uh, a, 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 with nobody steering. I mean, you know, you mentioned I, I, I respond to that, and I find that hopeful, and you know, the joy that I have in my life is not um this has cosmic significance it's, this makes me happy mm. and and you and i both feel like you know loving ourselves um overcoming anxiety and depression forming bonds and being there for each other um engaging in the richness of life in sci-fi movies you know i mean these things you know matter a lot more than defeating thanos i don't know anyone who's done that ever so I mean, we are more easily sold on those types of stories. Um, but in, in terms of thinking about it post-COVID, the other thing that strikes me is that, in addition to being a sort of uh, bureaucratic, uh, atheistic, meaningless universe, and that being okay, right, and winking at that and smiling at that, mm-hmm. which was so key to me growing up, right, that that didn't have to be the end of morality, the end of happiness, you know, um, is that this is a universe in which it is completely impossible to imagine conspiracy theories. 
Yeah. Um, like, you know, people are so incompetent in groups. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the idea that like, you know, yeah, George Soros figured out, but, uh, you know, uh, spread misinformation, you know, spread misinformation about COVID to, you know, and all the doctors are in on it. And, you know, that kind of mentality, which we live in a really conspiratorial time, mm -hmm. that cannot survive this movie, right? Like, you no. can't get the reality. I mean, if anything, this airs too far on that side. But, I mean, in reality, you can't get five people in a room to agree and follow through on a secret plan by themselves, let alone, you know, all doctors and all scientists about global warming and all this shit. But, I mean, this movie... You know, I mean, I love when it's lunchtime and they're like, well, we'll stop at nothing to 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 hunt the, down the, the rebels. Right. You know, and the whistleblowers. Like, oh, it's a lunchtime. I, I love know. that. I love that. Yeah. That's lunch, and, everyone. One hour. <laughs> right. And and the truth is, you know, I mean, of course, you, you feel the frustration of uh, Zephod's uh, vice president there. Um, but, uh, you know, and it's a joke about, you know, I mean, British tea time mm. and, and all of that. But but you know also i'm always thinking of like i hate it when police say like we'll we'll you know we'll stop at nothing to really are you going to blow the budget for the department yeah. on some you know no you're not right you're not going to hire people out of your own money to go research this so can we please stop with this we'll stop at nothing rhetoric yeah. shit um but anyway i mean so i think you know i i love that but i think it it totally defeats the idea of like there are forces, dark forces in control that are well, this controlling is, our lives. Again, like, this is that, yeah, I, I completely agree because, um, you know, that's why there's one world government. Although I am currently reading a book about the one world government, but um, <laughs> I can't believe it because you're right. I've worked in a number of organizations and this film's exactly like those places all work on the edge of chaos. Like, you know, and everybody talks to everybody else and then goes outside and talks to everybody else that they know. So nothing's ever a secret. It's constant. It's, it's utter nonsense. And that's why whenever I see a flat earther, I can't engage with them. I just look them in the eye and then have to walk away because it's just baffling to me. Um, But I love how this film, like I say, throws all that out, but then sort of pokes fun at things. And you could even mod modernize some of the jokes in this to include that element of sort of poking fun at conspiratorial ideas and conspiratorial thinking. Um, that's what the point of the, the point of view gun, you know, mm -hmm. and have that mm -hmm. sort of use that in that way. I wouldn't want to change the story too much. I think it works. I think that the story is still relevant uh, and can still be adapted. Um, but you're right. I, I don't know. I think there's an audience for this today. Uh, and I think it gets lost mm -hmm. in the shuffle and often gets forgotten. One thing I wanted to sort of touch on, you say about, the weird, and I also think that there's an odd, there's um, uh, let's call it the weird scales, the scales of weird, in in which you sort of you need to keep a good balance depending on how you're going to do things. Because, for example, there's a scene in this where the probability drive kicks in when they're at Mag uh, Magathea, instead of going anywhere against you know, whatever calculable probability, a, a a sperm whale appears and a bo and a bowl of petunias. Well, the two the two missile thermonuclear missiles the, that the are two, about yes. to destroy them <laughs> turn into a whale and a bowl of petunias. Yeah, and then Famous. as the yeah, yeah. Uh, and as the whale falls to earth, it starts to sort of create mm. things. It has sort of like a. A sense memory of like, that's my tail this is wind and what's that coming towards me that's ground hello ground and then it's all it hits and and 
again, voiced by com- Brit- well-known British comedian Bill Bailey. But there's that moment where the Petunias, um, the only thought that passed with the Petunias' mind is, oh, no, not again. <laughs> it was just one of, to me, the funniest bit in the yeah. whole film. And I, I've always loved the whale and the petunias. Yeah. It's great, but I also like that Bill ba- uh, the, the 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 hitchhiker sort of narrative that follows it from Stephen Fry is uh, it is often considered if the if the universe had understood more as to why the petunia had thought that we'd be in a much better place all over, all round. Um, yeah, we'd understand a lot more about the universe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that's from the book. I mean, it's directly from yeah. the book. Um, but what I find interesting is, and I'm going to make a comparison then to Bookaroo Bonsai. Mm, mm-hmm. And in that scale of weird where they have, to them, they have the, the watermelon. And there's that whole thing around what's the, what is that watermelon? It's in a clamp, isn't it? There's a, and what's with the watermelon? This is all, I'll tell, you, it's, I'll tell you some of the time. And so there's that mystery or the weirdness of the watermelon. And I, in, in watching this, I, I still very much enjoy Bookaroo Bonsai. But it, that falls very much into, in some cases, manufactured weird. Mm-hmm. You know, like the almost into wacky. Like we're gonna wear, we're gonna have wacky names, and we're gonna wear wacky clothes, and it's almost like it, it leans. Golly into gee, the, we're aren't we weird now? Exactly. Right? Yeah, where this sort of like just introduces almost like weird, mundane stuff. There's a mundanity, a mundanity to everything where it's like, you know, it's not hyper weird. It's not like we're trying to make a big deal of it. It's a simple like. Yeah, the, the petunias simply thought, "Oh no, not again!" <laughs> and it's all, you know, it's as simple as that. It's not being thrust at you. It's just, and it's moved on from. Mm. Um, and there are several things like that in the film, where, um, it's just there as a as a sort of um, like s- s- odd things like there's a, there's a race that has fifty arms, and they invented the aerosol mm. deodorant before they invented the wheel. Yeah, that's very clever. Yeah, and there's little things like that where I'm like, it's not, it's not overly manufactured. It feels like a mm. sort of like a, a, it's just a joke and a move on. But there's a weirdness to this universe that, um, yeah, but it's know. also like such a heartwarming weirdness, right? Yeah. Like I, I know what you're saying about like the manufactured weirdness of you know, which I hate, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and to me, I can always smell the difference between those two, right? Mm. Um, and I'm always sort of irritated at the you know careful careful set weirdness you know versus just human oddity and this is very much in that human oddity i mean even with the uh even with the bowl of petunias there's a kind of like smiling at the audience right where and it's such a classic joke right because you follow the whale all the way down and it's done brilliantly in this film right you see Mm. the money um you know, and it's like, right, of course the whale wouldn't know gravity, right? That it's in danger, right? Um, and, and, of course, it makes you think of, like, the uh, the classic thing of, like, when you're falling, you know, uh, everything's fine. It's all yeah. fine. It's all fine. And then, then suddenly it's not, right? Um, which is a big metaphor for climate change and, and crisis and all these other things. But, you know, so then that's the end. And then it suddenly shifts to the back to the petunia and it's like, right, you know, well, here's what the petunia was thinking, (laughs) which is like the most mind bending, like, oh, right. Imagine there's a binary here, right? We've just followed the one. Here's what the other was thinking. And it's so bizarre and and wonderful. Um, But it's also like such a classic setup, right? Mm. I mean, it just works. I mean, another one that works is, uh, 
you know, talking about conspiracy theories where uh, uh, Dent has, uh, uh, dis has discovered that the Earth was a supercomputer meant to, you know, calculate the question, mm. right? And, uh, you know, just before it was blown up and that actually, you know, it was manufactured and I love the bit of, you know, these custom built planets, you know, yeah. now they're quite expensive. And, uh, and Arthur Dent says, oh, you know, that makes sense to me because my whole life I felt that there was secretly something, you know, controlling us. And, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, instantly the guide says, uh, and this is also one of my favorite lines from Hitchhikers. No, that's perfectly normal paranoia. Everyone in the universe feels that, <laughs> yeah. you know? which I often say to my friends, <laughs> like, you know. Like maybe maybe I'm I'm thinking too hard about this, and you know maybe you know like maybe you know I need to like change my life or this person's after me, and it's like no, that's perfectly normal paranoia. You know yeah. we're all feeling it. Uh, it yeah, There's it's very funny, but it has it that is. humanity behind it. Yeah, and it makes it charming. Um... And I think one of the things is you know there's the absurd humor, or even like you know that verging into surrealist humor. Again, is a fine line. It's about timing and where to place it. Again, like you know. We often remember, let's, you know, um, Monty Python, um, you know, being, you know, quite avant-garde and sort of like surrealist humor. People laud that, oh, Monty Python, amazing, you know, oh, yeah, watch all of it. Sit mm. and go through all three series of that, every episode, and see if you come out and say that every episode is great. No. Because no, I no, guarantee no. you, it's, it's not. It's, it's borderline unwatchable straight. I mean, like the best yeah. of Python is, is classic, but I have done exactly what you're talking about. Yes. And it's this idea that like, oh, absurd humor is, is all funny. No, no, no. It can be absolutely awful. And I think some of Python is, as you say, almost unwatchable. But people only remember when it's at its best. And so, you know, and, and when it says best, it's fantastic. Like, I love some of their best stuff. And I, I will, you know, stand by, um, you know, Life of Brian and, and, and um, Holy Even Grails. Even Dead Parrot and, you know. Yeah, some of this stuff yeah. is fantastic. But like you say, it's hard to get it hit. To hit, the hit rate of, I think, this film is much higher mm. and much more consistent than I think other films that have done similar things. Um, and as you say, there's a charm and a humanity to it. And this is why I think the cast is important. Like you can't have someone who's too like Arthur Dent is not a macho character. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, you couldn't have like Jason Statham is not playing. Yeah, Jason yeah. Statham can't play <laughs> Arthur Dent. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. As you know, I'm Arthur Dent. I'm here to defeat you, Zoga. <laughs> That's it. Like, yeah, Sylvester Stallone playing Zaphod. <laughs> oh yo, you know. Come on. Um, it, it doesn't work. Like you need the right. <laughs> this is really going to be sort of why I think this would be. But I do think, uh, you know, hundred percent that the, the charm of this. I mean, mm. we live in a mixed area. Like the, the, there's a weird. We li we love the superhero films, and we also love the deconstruction. Like the boys is great. I think the boys mm. on Prime is really really good, and we love the cynicism and the dark side of that. Um, you know, I do anyway. At least I really enjoy all that, and I think there's other. Mm -hmm other shows similar to that that people cling to. I mean, we've had it with you know, Game of Thrones and other things like that. And every now and then you get the lighter ones thrown in and I think, you know, this is the kind of show that if you were to make now would sort of be that balance. 
where, for example, I mean, uh, to give you, you know, the, one of the, I haven't watched it. I've, I've seen part of the first episode, but I haven't watched all of it, is this thing where Mindy Kaling's done for Velma, where she's taken the Scooby-Doo mm. characters and made it like a grown-up cartoon. I can't judge it. I haven't seen enough of it to judge it. I was a bit like, eh, it looks fine, whatever. But taking that and making it adult and snarky and stuff, I'm like, you don't, it's taking away the essence of the humanity of what those characters were and what that cartoon was all about. It's fun. And it's the same with this. This would fit you. This could not be mm. adultized. You couldn't make this cynical or in the sense mm. of like, mm-hmm. it needs to have that humanity, that heart, because that's sort of the point of this whole thing. Yeah. And it's Douglas Adams, right? It, yeah. it needs that wink at meaninglessness, right? It needs yeah. that, that heart, that humanity. Yeah, and I think that's what's so important. And I think that's why I think this could almost, I think this would be a massive success now if done right, mm. because I think there's people that would be would be clamoring for something that would give them this kind of, you know, I watch, I, I watch TikTok quite a bit, and I've seen an awful lot of people, just get videos of people going like, does anyone else feel like that the world is sort of changed? And like over Christmas, mm. there was an awful lot of videos of people going, this Christmas felt different, like kind of meaningless, like it didn't have the impact. And like, I think there's a, there's a, there is a, mm. a sentiment of that. And something mm-hmm. like this, like Hitchhikers, Pratchett has it in abundance. If you read Terry Pratchett, mm. and Terry Pratchett is in, would be in, is incredibly hard to translate to film. I've seen all the tra- the adaptations have done. They've all been mostly meh to all right. Um, but those books have it in abundance. And, I, I'd love to see some of that heart and that humanity um, given that elevation of a, of a prime, you know, the premier well, TV show. Yeah, the one example of that is good. The example good omens. contrary to that is Good Omens, which just exactly. works great, but yes. it's half the DNA is, is gaming. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and lets itself be fun and depart from mm. the book, you know. Um, yeah, and another example of the, the humor that I thought worked that is. I cannot laud this enough. Like, it's more laudable than it is even funny. But I, I mean, the amount that I love this is hard to describe. Um, where they're about to be uh, thrown out of the Zygon uh, ship. And, you know, obviously <laughs> they've just hitchhiked, they've just yeah. escaped, they've heard the poetry, they've made it through all of this. And, uh, and, um, Ford is being told, uh, you know, uh, actually, Ford tells Arthur, uh, yeah, we're going to die. You know, we're about to be airlocked. We're going to die. And Arthur says, like, is there anything we can do? And Ford says, wait a minute. And he goes over to the side of the <laughs> of the airlock. And there's a, you know, a dial on there. He's, mm. you know, a device. He's just, you know, we, you know, he says, wait, what's this? Oh, it, it, it's nothing. Yeah, we're gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's like every movie you've ever seen, right? Yeah. It's like, why? What is this device here? Oh, I can hook my, you know, my tricorder into this, and you know, no, no, this is just a stupid device on the side. Yep, we're gonna die. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, this, this is this is a this is poking fun at like everything from the trash compactor scene of Star Wars to every other time that the heroes have just been about to be killed and you know, they are saved, but they are saved against probability. Like, the, you know, this is mm. against all probability. They are saved, and they are also turned into a pair of sofas. Um, but yeah, I love that but, scene too. But I'm willing to buy to that. 
Yeah. Like in a weird way, I'm willing to buy the fact that they are saved in this one because mm. it takes the shit out of, you know, all not just sci-fi stuff, but, you know, everything where there's always there's some way it's like a video game, right? Like we're not going to mm. kill the main character. There's some way to save this character in this room here. But, you know, in a weird way, because it's the probability drive, I buy, you know, every absurd thing that it generates, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 it's the, in a way that I wouldn't in most films, that it would irritate mm. me. No, I, I agree. I do like that scene. And this is where I think, again, like, you know, just, just the timing of that works so well. There's a weird, um, the sentiment of the, the, the end of the film is the heart is always there. Um, and you know, there's a little bit in the book, the book, the ending of the book is slightly different. It's all a bit, it's all a little bit at the end of this film, everyone gets together, happy ending kind of thing. Um, the book's slightly different because they're on the, they end up going back to the heart of, um, the heart of gold. And, um, it's in this, someone asks Trill, oh, are you hungry? And she's like, oh, I'm a bit peckish. And someone says, oh, I know a great uni- uh, restaurant at the end of the universe. That's sort of done in the in the uh, it's it's Zaphod to Arthur in the book is like hey human and because they've still got that slightly anti- antagonistic relationship um, do, you know are you hungry and he's still I am slightly peckish and I could do with a good cup of tea and he says right we're off to the restaurant at the end of the universe um, and it's a, the, 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 it's almost like the adventure continues you know like mm-hmm. it's not it's oh we've dealt with this but we're going to go on but there's still slightly carryover. And this still feels like there's a sentimental ending that, are, you know, that is almost not against everything that's gone before. Cause I like, I like some of it, a lot of quite a bit of it, but I don't know. That's sort of where the sort of the, the Hollywood eyes sentimentality sort of creeps in a little bit at the end, when they're all in that, they're all hugging each other in this, they're in that sort mm. of the carry on mm-hmm. back on. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's, and I'm happy fine with that. Um, But this, there is that little bit of it. And I was like, okay, that's sort of a little bit of a shame. Cause um. It could have, I think, it could have done with a a bit more of an open ending. Um, and also, it, but I would also, I love the fact, and you said because I do get very sensitive. I do sort of feel the feels at the end of this film, mm. especially things like the the um, uh, point of view gun when she shoot uh, Trill is shooting Zaphod, um, and stuff, and it, all that's all, all all pretty good, um. But the one, the one thing that really, that strikes that really weirdly hits me more than, than anything, because you have at least like the original Marvin from the BBC TV show appears mm, right. in one scene. Yeah, um, he's in the the queue. He's in the queue. St- yeah. Still still waiting. Um, is at the end when the ship turns into you know it goes, burp, 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 and disappears, and mm. the last thing you get is a big Douglas Adams, Adams face. Yeah. And I was like, that's a nice touch, and it sort of yeah. you do think that's a. It feels like the. Um, sincerity of what they've been trying to do carries forward and that sort of so that's the other reason I love this film and it does feel like there's a sincerity to the source material that you know many of the things don't do. Well then it says for Douglas on screen. Yes it know? does. Um which again I mean I love that. I I know what you're saying about that ending. And I think it is the sort of like it's the Enterprise warping out. It's the lost in space yes. ending, right? Of the you know the movie where it's like mm. we're gonna continue our adventures, right? It's that classic now we form the team. And, yes, and literally they're warping out just with the improbability drive, which is how you get the Douglas Adams face. Mm. But then I do wonder, like, I agree with you completely, and I love it, and I get the feels. But then I also wonder, like, 
is you know like what would a general audience think like you know mm. it's, it's like do they know who douglas is it doesn't even say for douglas adams you know creator of the hitchhiker's guy right mm. um you know it doesn't say that right uh so i mean i i do find myself wondering uh just a little bit if that's the, the best way to go but it's nice that they did though I think I appreciate yeah, that they did. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so there we go. I think we've we've gone through um uh what what any final thoughts on um Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I'm amazed how much uh minute by minute this material, especially in a condensed two hour form that's glitzy and, and works for the most part, um has been, you know, uh part of the web of my life and mm. my understanding of culture. Um, you know, we've talked about things like the, you know, point of view gun, you know, the factory floor of custom planets, and, you know, uh, you know, the whale in the bowl of petunias, you know, <laughs> I, I, I bought a, you know, poster of that for one of my best friends. Um, but then also like, you know, don't panic. This is the keep calm and carry on before that, because that mm. was just one stupid poster in World War II. It wasn't spread out all over. Don't no. panic actually comes first. Yes. Uh, as a cultural artifact, you know, in French, Reste tranquille, right? This this is the key, you know, so long and thanks for all the fish, you know, Megrothea, life, the universe and everything, you know, 42. I mean, if you say 42 to a random person, there's about a 50% chance that they get it if they seem like a cool person, you know? Um, and Babelfish, like remembering before there was Google Translate, you remember Babelfish? It's yeah. like the idea that we could have an AI that translates everything. It's like, you know, that's amazing. It was called Babelfish. Like, it's amazing how much, not just the web of my life, but the web of my culture and geek culture mm. and uh, everything has been, even the Achu, the religion, you know, uh, 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 you know, like is such a great send up of, of, religion and and prefigure sort of uh the great spaghetti monster stuff um and it actually in some cases i think you know the uh, uh whole a true thing is uh better than you know actual religions because it acknowledges that all of life is an error you know God, <laughs> yeah. you know like well that embraces quantum fluctuation and you know what what we understand about how you know we just evolved. Um, that's okay. Mm. So yeah. anyway, I mean, I'm just amazed by how powerful I find this material. Yeah. No, on the same, I, I, I do really enjoy this film. It's a, it's a film in which I find myself endlessly smiling. Like, you know, it's, as you say, it's sort of like, it's not, I, I do laugh out loud, I chuckle. It's not a guffaw inducing sort of film to me, but there's a warmth to this film. There's a smile inducing that I just love being around and it's just sort of it's it's one of those films that sort of it's uh, a positive energy and it starts on the opening shot i mean this film that they say so long and thanks for all the fish being sung as a musical number by dolphins and things like and the, the context of it the the build-up of having the voice of stephen fry you know um coming in and sort of explaining that they've been trying to go dolphins have, have been trying to communicate with us for ages and actually a triple spin um while jumping through a hoop and hitting a ball um was actually them mm. communicating one final message which was so long and thanks for all the fish and then you get a musical number like a full-on like <laughs> musical number with dolphins 
and that, like you say, sets the scene for for how this film's going to go, um, and maintains. It doesn't always. Not every scene is 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 budgeted and has the the special effects or the support that it should have. I think it does have some disappointing scenes that I find a little, as you say, takes you out of the scene, especially the Magrathia set and some of the bits. It's clear they ran out of money. Like it's quite clear they just ran out of money on some scenes. Um. But the cast work in this so well for the most part, as I said, we've sort of like even I know we sort of we sort of um, ribbed on Zoe Deschanel, but she's not awful. She's just like you said, mm-hmm. she's let down a little bit by the script and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, Sam Rockwell just sort of romps home with every scene that he's in. Um, and you know, this is one of his, my favorite Sam Rockwell performances. Um, no, it's good. It, 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 there's so much good in this thing, and so many great ideas. But the fact that this didn't succeed is so, so disappointing. And the fact that, like you say, no more than a year or two later, Ed- Edgar Wright would make British comedies, you know, slightly absurdist British comedies a bit more in vogue again with Hot Fuzz and, and um, uh, World's End in particular, which is a science fiction kind of sort of, you know, similar take. This missed just missed its its date, missed its due date almost. You know, it was even a little early, maybe. I don't know, ahead of its time for what it wanted to be. I think it's a real shame because I think this could, if they'd have gotten the whole hog and made to do all the fact that, like, you know, I've recently talked about we had the four films that did the Hunger Games, Percy Jackson got two or three films, The Maze mm. Runner, like, you got all those young adult you know, crappy novels got a bunch of money thrown at them and then this didn't is is so, so, so tragic. However, I do think, and I will repeat, this is a property that needs revisiting. And I think, you know, it has inspired so much. I mean, I, I do think that if you were to ask Doug Naylor and mm. uh, what's it, Grant, you know, you'd find, I think there's some, there's, there's a definite dollop of DNA if, of hitchhikers in red dwarf um for sure and absolutely you know even in in, in i think yeah it just it just goes on and on like you said there's the ideas in some of this just have appeared elsewhere um it's a bit like we said with john carter when we covered the john carter film that idea of now this is the original this is the original but you're comparing it to all the stuff that's come after it and that's not fair um and i think that's what somewhere somehow this is a little bit but yeah, I think this could be done again. I think it should be done again. I think this is time for the Hitchhikers to be sort of pulled off the shelf, dusted off, and somebody else to have a go at it. Because um, I think there's so much more to explore here, especially that you know in the in the rest of the novels. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and if we can do it for Dune, although that's you know tonally very different, we can <laughs> do it for this. I yes. mean, and you know, for me. No matter what I feel about the the novels, you know, uh, it being enjoyable or funny on the page, um, this is sacred stuff. Mm. Um, you know, it is it is stunning how uh, important this material is, you know, and influential. So I'm I'm all with you. Yes. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there we have. We've discussed the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Just as a final note. I did put out a tweet uh, the other day just to ask what were people's thoughts on this. And I actually did get resoundingly positive feedback. Like everyone was like, oh, I love that film. Or like, you know, generally thought of like, oh yeah, that was really good. It was a film that people when prompted remembered fondly, but I think has sort of fallen away because it's been 
overtaken by a lot of other things. So that's generally, I think, where it is in the public eye. So it could be redone. I don't think it was, it's like, for you and I, we're quite close to it, but mm. it is mm-hmm. 18 years old. And I think there's a whole generation that could re-enjoy this um, material again. Anyway, so besides the point. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you, if you do enjoy, please go leave a review, find your podcast catcher and leave a review. If you really like what you do, what we're doing, go and check out the Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash 20CG media. There's a link down below. Uh, it's, we're going to be it's all over our Twitter and stuff. Cause if you like what we're saying about this on that, we are going to be talking about the 1981 or 1980. I think it's 1981 uh, six part BBC series. Um, and if I can track it down, I might even have a quick listen to some of the radio episodes mm. as well. Um, and we'll talk about those. So they are there. It's an hour-long episode. We're doing an hour-long special to some of the add-ons. So go check out the Patreon for additional material. And if you liked our, our last episode, we're also doing uh, Battle Royale 2 as yes. a Patreon exclusive. So uh, uh, both that and the 81 Hitchhiker's uh, Galaxy uh, will be on Patreon exclusively. So... Uh, go thank check you them for out. your support. Yeah. Yes, go check those out. Uh, and there'll be more because we're going to be doing Blade Runner 29 and we'll do the support on that. But next, we are back to uh <laughs> franchise. We're revisiting a franchise. We did a cartoon movie of, of 86. We're now doing the first of the live action adaptations of Transformers from 2007. It's going to get Michael Bay in here. It's all explosions and uh, lots and lots Finally. of... Finally. Enough of this artsy, fartsy <laughs> British stuff. Like, finally, some good old American hamburger. You know, like I am so relieved. We're gonna be here. So no, we're yeah, we're, we're hitting it. Woo woo! Let's bring on the uh, bring on those Autobots. Yes, Bulls in bikinis and big explosions. That's all I need in a movie, Scott. Yes. Soldiers, Megan Fox, and robots. That's what we're gonna be getting. <laughs> Uh, we'll see what we think about that film. I haven't watched that film. I haven't watched the first one probably for about five or six years. So I'm interested to see how I sort of uh, what I thought on it, think on it. But that's the next episode. Um, we may see there may be something we'll throw in as a sort of a um, a comparison piece to that. But we've already done the movie, but we'll think about something else. Anyway, for now though, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your support. We appreciate everything you're doing. If you've enjoyed it, go listen to the rest of the episodes. We've got a massive back catalogue. Uh, but for now, Julian, thank you very much. As always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. What a joy to get to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with you. I mean, this is what I, I just want to. I would just want to do stuff like this for the rest of my life. Yes, thank just, you. yes. Just talk. Just talk films we enjoy. It's great. Uh, but everyone, to everyone listening, thank you very much. So long, and uh, hopefully, thanks for all the Patreon reviews. <laughs> and we'll see you in the next episode. 